Good morning, everyone. There are a lot more people in this service than there are in the first one, I'll tell you right now. It is good to see you. It's good to sing songs like we did this morning, just reminding us. Um, I think it's helpful to know that struggle is just a part of the Christian life. It's what it means to walk in this world, and, and that grace actually frees us from the burden of trying to hide the battles that we face in life. In fact, like we saw with Paul last week, humility is actually the road that we take towards victory. We saw that with him as he talked about his struggle. Um, we learned that vulnerability is not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of great strength. Our battle against sin was never intended to be a private war. After all, how many times, and think about this, I know it's true for you, it's true for me, how many times have you listened to a testimony as you heard somebody share their story and you thought to yourself, man, I needed to hear that. I mean, usually you hear something and you think to yourself, I thought I was the only one who struggled with that. It stirs this sense of hope just knowing that we're not alone in the things that we face in this life. I personally believe that's one of the reasons why the region ministry here at Melanie Park is so significant in the lives of so many people. There's just something important that happens when we invite other people into our story. Because God wants us to grow in the gospel together. We ultimately find deliverance through dependence, not through our own personal strength. But let's be honest, the enemy wants you to believe something very different. He wants you to live a private life because it's a whole lot easier for him to deceive you one-on-one. -on -one. As long as you don't have people speaking truth into your life, then the loudest voice you often hear are his deceitful lies. But when others begin to speak truth into your life, then those lies seem to diminish in comparison. We find deliverance through dependence and not through personal strength. I think this is particularly true when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit, which is where we're going to focus our attention this morning. Outside of our salvation, I'm convinced that this is God's greatest gift in the life of every single follower of Christ. And yet, if we're honest with ourselves, I think many times we live our lives as if the Spirit doesn't exist. We just kind of chart a course on our own and ask God to bless what we really want to do. We pray that God will deliver us from lust, and yet we still struggle with the addiction to pornography. We ask God to help us forgive someone, and yet we still battle with the bitterness and anger that just won't seem to go away. Maybe we need to control our tongue, but those hurtful words just keep spilling out of our mouth, and we can't get them back. It's as if our prayers for freedom don't really work. But I think there's a reason why, and I want you to consider this, and let me give you an illustration. I think it's a lot like the treadmill that we often have in our bedroom that we hang clothes on. Y'all have one of those? We might even be tempted to take it back and tell him, look, I don't want this anymore. It didn't work. I'm going to return it. And they're probably going to ask you, well, what do you mean? Is it broken? Did it malfunction in any way? 
Well, no, I never used it. I just know that I didn't lose any weight, so I, I want to give it back now. But it's hard to prove that something doesn't work if you never actually put it to use. Maybe that's the reason that we don't find the freedom that we long for, because we're trying to manage sin on our own. Like that treadmill, we ignore the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We pray because we want a miraculous deliverance, just like we want to miraculously lose weight, right? But deliverance comes through dependence, and we must walk in the Spirit if we want to experience the true transforming work of God's Spirit in our life, and that's what we'll walk through this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we open up your word, we want to do so humbly and with teachable hearts. We admit, we confess together that we don't often experience the full benefit of your presence within us because we are too inclined to operate on our own apart from you. And yet we find ourselves in some of the same struggles that seem to plague us and we wonder why. And so this morning, maybe if you would, by your grace, give us some insight into something different, a new path towards righteousness that looks different than one that we might chart on our own. Help us to understand what it means to be led by your Spirit, to walk in the Spirit so that it reshapes our desires and transforms our life to bring glory and honor to your name. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, if you would, turn to Romans chapter 8, and if you would, follow along with me as I begin reading in verse 1. So Romans chapter 8, verse 1, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. If we stay consistent with Paul's discussion about the law in the last several passages that we've looked at, this verse 1 in chapter 8 is very concise and very clear. Because what Paul is telling us is that for those who place their faith in Christ, the law can no longer condemn. Now, as we've talked about, the law is still profitable in the life of the believer because it brings a conviction of sin. And yet, it can no longer condemn sin and therefore bring a judgment for your sin when you are in Christ. And notice that, that God's declaration here is permanent and it's complete. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, not now, not ever, because it is finished. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death, which means there is no sin that can separate you from God's promise to set you free. And that's because the law of sin no longer has authority in your life. You have been, as we've learned in chapter 6, set free to walk in a newness of life. Now, we often say, and rightly so, that we are one bad decision from falling into a pattern of sin. And 
I think that's probably a healthy perspective because it reminds us that, look, no one's immune. and We have to be on guard. But as a believer in Jesus Christ, I think there's another side of that coin that we often overlook, and it's this. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you are one right decision away from seeing God do complete redemption in your life over any of sin's control in your life. One right decision away. There is no sin that the power of the Spirit cannot overcome. And the assurance of this promise, Paul tells us, is is grounded in the finished work of the cross. This is where God did what the, the law could not do. And remember, we talked about this. It's not because there's something wrong with the law, right? It's because there's something wrong with us. That's why Paul says that the law was weakened by the flesh. So in the end, God did what we, weakened by the flesh, could not do apart from him. And he did this, Paul tells us, by sending his son, Jesus, in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? In the likeness of sinful flesh. I think what Paul is trying to tell us here is that when Jesus came, he looked exactly like us, but he acted nothing like us. Because like us, he was tempted in all things, but unlike us, yet without sin. Like us, Satan tried to deceive him into going his own way, to choosing his own path. But unlike us, Jesus never accepted the offer. It was his perfect life that became a perfect sacrifice for our sin. He who knew no sin became sin. Why? Paul tells us, so that he could condemn sin in the flesh, which tells us that the the full weight of God's wrath against sin was placed on Jesus Christ on the cross. Everything, everything the law required, including a punishment for sin, was filled completely and permanently by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is a real person who died a real death as a real punishment for our sin. So that, as Paul says, the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. Because remember, the the law is holy. We learn this. The law is holy. It's, It's righteous. It's good. Which tells us that if we have a new life in Christ and that law is fulfilled in us, what does that say about you? It says you're holy, that you're righteous that you're good. And since the work of Christ is finished, that, permanent, that verdict is permanent and it is complete for all who believe. That's who you are when you are united with Christ through faith. Because what is true for him, as we've said before, is true for all who belong to him. That sin nature That sin nature that once ruled your life has been redeemed. And there is now a new nature with new possibilities. And every one of those possibilities are ultimately fulfilled through the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's why Paul tells us in Ephesians 2.10, you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. 
The Spirit of God is what leads us away from sin and leads us towards a path of righteousness. Listen now, Jesus describes this to his disciples in John chapter 16, verse 13. Um, when he says, uh, when it says this, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. Now here it is. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things, all things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Now if you stop and think about the words that we just read, it's absolutely amazing. Because what Jesus is telling us here is that everything the Spirit did for him, he now does in you. Is that amazing? Everything the Spirit did, he now discloses to you. He will guide your life in order that you, your life may glorify him. Jesus promises that the, the Spirit will lead the way, but here's the other side of that. We have to choose to follow. The Spirit will lead the way. We have to choose to follow. Look at how Paul continues in verse 5 of our passage. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death. But the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God. For it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So here's the decision that we have to make in order for these new possibilities to become a reality in our life. It's just another way that Paul is telling us, as he said several times in the book of Romans so far, what you believe determines how you behave. What you think dictates how you act. A mind set on the flesh will fulfill fleshly desires. Okay, This is not complicated. A mind set on the spirit will fulfill spiritual desires. Fleshly desires lead to emptiness, to discouragement, to brokenness. We, we know that, right? Because we've been there. But a mind set on the spirit leads to life and to peace. Let me try to illustrate it to you this way. So my son Grant loves cars. If you've visited with him for very long, you'll figure that out. He loves cars. And so one of the things that we're excited about is we're going to have a, a brand new engine put into his 1986 Ford Bronco 2. It's going to be awesome, right? But here's the thing on that. Even though it's a new engine, that engine is designed to work in a certain way with a certain kind of fuel. And so if you go and put diesel in that gasoline engine, over time, you're going to ruin that engine. You'll destroy it. Well, in a similar way, walking in the flesh is like feeding your mind the wrong fuel. It happens when you believe that your identity is determined by the opinions of other people. That's bad fuel, okay? It's bad fuel. It happens when you try to find your security in your financial stability. That's bad fuel. It happens when you believe that 
good things happen when you make good choices and that suffering is the result of making wrong choices. That's bad fuel. It even happens when you think that your obedience is what's producing righteousness in your life. That's bad fuel. And over time, that bad fuel will deeply damage a new heart. Because those choices work against God's design. They are hostile towards God's intent for your life. And you simply cannot sin and walk in the Spirit at the same time. It's not possible. In order to fully experience the new possibilities of a new life in Christ, we must feed our minds with truth. We have to be active and intentional in this. And the reason why is because we are faced with lies and deception every single day, whether we want it or not. It's just part of living life in this world. So if we're not actively pursuing truth, we will be overwhelmed by these deceptions and lies. Because it looks like if we stop for a minute, if we watch the news long enough, that the world is falling apart, right? That things are just going to chaos in a, in a crazy, crazy way. But let me read you a passage from Isaiah chapter 40, and this is truth. So listen very closely. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he, God, who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He it is who reduces rulers to nothing, who makes the judges of the earth meaningless. Scarcely have they been planted. Scarcely have they been sown. Scarcely has their stock taken root in the earth, but he merely blows on them, and they wither. And the storm carries them away like stubble. To whom then will you liken me, that I would be his equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. The one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them all by name. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. That is the truth. And he is in control. And this world is not in chaos. Just go out tonight. When the sun goes down and look up into the sky. And see the vast number of stars and think of this verse. That he knows them each by name. Just go ahead and try to name them yourself. <laughs> see how many you can get through. Not one of them is missing. That is truth. It is true that your identity is determined by God and it does not depend on your performance. That's truth. It is true that you are secure in God's love and you are forgiven by Christ's blood. That is truth. You are chosen. You are gifted. Your life is filled with purpose and worth in Him. And no matter how many bad decisions you make, you are only one right decision away from seeing God's complete and total healing and redemption in your life. That is the truth. Let's continue in verse 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. 
But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. I think it's important for us when we talk about the Holy Spirit to to change our terminology a little bit. I think it has less to do with us having the Holy Spirit and more to do with the Holy Spirit having us. Because the Spirit of God is not a force that we wield. It is a person to whom we yield. Does that make sense? It's not a force that we, this inanimate force that we wield to our own benefit in some way. It is a person to whom we yield. It's not just the presence of the divine. It's the divine presence in your life. The Spirit is not just a force that we wield. It is a person to whom we yield. He dwells in you. He gives life to your mortal bodies. That's why Paul writes to the Corinthians, and he tells us that though our outer man, talking about our mortal bodies, is decaying, our inward man is being renewed day by day. And that renewal is made possible because of the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit who resides in you. The Spirit is how we are raised to walk in a newness of life. All the potential of our redemption is made possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe that's what Paul had in mind when he writes to the Philippians and he tells us, work out your salvation. Live it out with fear and trembling because it is God through His Spirit who it is a work in you to both will and to work for His good pleasure. You see, all the benefits of your new life in Christ were given to you at the moment of faith. It's important for us to understand that our salvation is not an installment plan. It is paid in full up front. Everything that you need for life and godliness has been given to you in Christ. We just have to learn how to live out of those new possibilities. We work out our salvation ultimately by walking in the Spirit because that's how we receive, as the Scripture tells us, both the desire, because we don't have that apart from the Spirit, and the power, because we don't have that either apart from the Spirit, to fulfill what God's will is for our life. That's what Paul is telling us. Look at how he continues in verse 12. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption, the sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Paul is reminding us, as he has several times, that as a believer in Jesus Christ, you are are no longer dictated by the desires of the flesh. Because, as we just learned, the Spirit gives you new desires and a new power to fulfill those desires. Now, if you think about the flesh, and this is true, think about it in your own life. Hey, Graham, can I have some water, please? 
I'm about to lose my voice. If you think about the work of the flesh in our lives, I think we can all relate to the fact that it's always demanding something of us, isn't it? You have to do this. You need to do this. You've got to do that. It's always a demand to do something with a sense of urgency, and that something is often outside the boundaries of God's intended design. But I want you to notice something different here. The Spirit does not demand. It invites. It invites. So if you want to discern God's will for your life, many times you can discern it by what you hear. Is it a demand or is it an invitation? I think that's part of what it means to be led by the Spirit. Because notice, we're not the ones who are putting death the deeds of the flesh. Paul says, by the Spirit, you are putting to death the deeds of the flesh. And here's how I think that happens. And this is where I think we get confused in our desire to live a godly life. I think very many times we have this picture of doing battle against our sin, kind of mano a mano. We're just going to take this thing on. And I think we give way too much attention to sin in our lives as if it's something that we need to focus on in order to overcome. Our goal is to overwhelm sin's power. And we have to beat these bad habits into submission, right? That's what we got to do. We just got to overcome them. And I think that's completely wrong. I think a better way to do battle against our sin is to let the Holy Spirit lead us to something better. Something better. You see, I believe strongly that this is not an issue of our fleshly desires too strong. I believe it's an issue of our godly desires too weak. It's not an issue of our fleshly desires are just too strong, I can't overcome them. No, that's not the issue. The issue is that our desires to know and follow Christ are too weak. And that's why I think true, authentic worship, where we are acknowledging and praising God for all that He is, may be one of our greatest weapons against sin in our life. Because the more we learn to love God, the less we are drawn towards sin. That's why I said last week, don't read your Bible in order to produce righteousness in your life. Read your Bible in order to understand God and get to know Jesus. Have fellowship with one another so that you can see Christ in the lives of other people. Serve the needs of others. We should do that, but only because we can see Jesus in the least of these. That's what God has called us to. Because the more we learn to love God, the less we are drawn towards sin. Our problem is not that our fleshly desires are too strong. It's that our desire to know and worship God is too weak. But that's what the Holy Spirit indwelling within us is inviting us to. You can hear it. You can feel the presence of God inviting in you to a place of worship. The Bible tells us the Spirit testifies. It, it speaks. It says to our own spirit that we are children of God. And, and that when you belong to God's family, fear no longer dictates your life. By faith in Christ, we are adopted. We are secure in the family of God. Now, as many of you know, this truth means a lot to us in our family. 
we know that an adopted child has all the rights and privileges of any son or daughter. That there is absolutely no difference between them and one who is related by blood because everything that belongs to one fully and completely belongs to the other. They are family. And when you are adopted into God's family, do you know who your older brother is? It's Jesus. It's Jesus because it tells us that it's God's firstborn son, right? And, and so we have all the rights and privileges of Jesus himself. We are heirs of God, the Bible tells us. We are fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. The, that relationship is what allows us to cry out to God, Abba, Father. We see those very words being proclaimed by Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. You'll remember them when he said, Abba, Father. All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Like Paul is telling us, Jesus is crying out to God. And he says, as a child of God, you have that same privilege. And, and I want you to notice that this prayer is a prayer of absolute trust. What Jesus is saying here is, God, I know you can. But I will trust you even if you don't. Not my will, but your will be done. He understands that absolute trust and faithful obedience comes with a cost. You see, God knows that in this world we will have trouble. He actually promised that. It's not one that we often uh, proclaim. We don't have any, anybody have a, a, a picture on your kitchen wall that says, in this world you will have trouble? No? Okay. It's a promise. Because what was true for Jesus, Jesus said will be true for those who follow him. And in that suffering, like Jesus, we have permission to cry out to God. We see that all throughout the Psalms. In fact, I've told you before, when anybody comes to me when they're in a hard place and they want to know where to start, I say start with the Psalms. Because you will hear your prayer being echoed by one of the psalmists when you read those words. And in those moments, as we cry out to God, the Spirit reminds us. He testifies in our heart, you belong to Him. He sees you. He knows you. He is with you. He is for you. He will never forsake you. I love the promise in Isaiah chapter 43 verse 2 that says, when you pass through the waters, here's God's promise, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. In the eyes of God, you have eternal value as a child of God, and nothing at all can separate you from the promise of eternal life. That's what it means to be secure in His love. God is not passively watching. He is actively involved, leading you by the Spirit. He is with you. He is for you. And His Spirit is at work within you. And just like Jesus was glorified before the Father, you can rest assured, one day, as a child of God, so will you. I want you to know that as I worked through this passage, I was really convicted in a lot of ways 
But in one of the ways that I was convicted, it was how much little attention I give to the Holy Spirit. I think I'm prone to just kind of navigate life on my own and ask God to bless my efforts. And I don't often stop to listen to the leading of the Spirit and following where He goes. And so I think, at least for me, one of the reasons that's true as I've thought about this is it's kind of a backlash response to what I call an abuse of the Holy Spirit. Using the Holy Spirit to, to kind of build what, what we know as a prosperity gospel where if, if I want it, it's the job of the Spirit to help me get it, right? And very often it has something to do with material possessions or financial gain in some way. I want a new car. I want a new promotion. I want things to go my way. The Spirit is there to make all those things happen. I think that's an abuse of the Holy Spirit. Another way I see the Holy Spirit abused is by these independent revelations from God where the Holy Spirit reveals something to a person's life, but it's news to everyone else, not to mention you can't find it in the Bible either. Or they have a word of God for someone else, but the someone else has no idea what they're talking about. That's an abuse of the Holy Spirit. And the reason I believe that's true is because it's treating the Holy Spirit like a personal assistant where the role of the Spirit is to help fulfill our desires instead of, and what I believe to be biblical here, reshaping our desires to fulfill the will of God. The role of the Holy Spirit is not there to fulfill our desires. The Holy Spirit is there to reshape our desires so that we might fulfill the will of God. The Spirit is not a force that we wield. It is a person to whom we yield. It's not just a divine presence. It's the presence of the divine. And the goal of the Spirit is not to make us happy, wealthy, and wise. The goal of the Spirit, very clearly, all throughout Scripture, repeated over and over again, is ultimately to give glory and honor to Jesus Christ in and through your life. And I think one of the major ways that that happens is through that transforming work of the Spirit so that our lives ultimately put the gospel on display so that people see Jesus in your marriage, that people see Jesus in your family, that when people come into this church body and they are part of this fellowship, they see Jesus and how we interact with one another. That's the outworking of the Holy Spirit. He wants to restore what has been broken. He wants to bring redemption to our lives. But here's the deal. It cannot happen if we are the ones who are in control. Redemption and deliverance comes through dependence, not through personal strength. So I want to give us a really simple application this week. And I want to ask us to do it together and make kind of a mutual commitment. This is something that we will do uh, throughout the week uh, as a, a shared commitment to each other. And it's just simply a prayer. And the prayer is this. God, will you empower your people so radically that we would get no glory? Would you empower your people so radically that we wouldn't get no glory, but instead, may people see our lives, our marriages, our families, and give glory and honor to you. That's the prayer that I want us to pray. That they would see our lives and the power of the Spirit would so radically transform us that we would get no glory, but they 
would see the glory of God at work in us and give honor and praise to him. Can we pray that together? Is that a commitment? Let's ask the Lord to radically empower our lives in that way. This morning, we're going to sing a song. It's kind of an older song. Some of you may know it. Some of you won't. But the words of this song are, in my mind, a beautiful prayer. So whether you know it or not, would you please listen intently to the words of this song? And I would ask you that you would turn those words into your personal prayer. Just let this be kind of the deepest part of who you desire to be as the Spirit of God works in you. So let me pray for us, and then we'll sing together. Lord, as we come before you this morning, we want to have our hearts transformed. We know that that can only happen through the work of your Holy Spirit. Lord, forgive us for the times that we have tried to live apart from you, knowing, as we see in Scripture, that apart from you, we can do nothing. and That all that is good and right and true ultimately comes from you. So, Lord, help us to think deeply, and to walk humbly, to do justly, not because of what we are doing for you, but because of what you are doing in us. That is the deepest desire in our heart. May you let it be. We pray this in your name. Amen. Please stand and let's sing together. Isn't that good? Sometimes there's songs that you hear and you think, that's it. That's what I want to pray. That's my prayer. And so I want to remind you, as I did in the first service, every week you're given a weekly reminder, and included in that reminder is a list of the songs that we will be singing the coming Sunday. This is one of those songs. It's probably not one that's on your playlist, but I would encourage you to go back to it this week and turn it into your prayer, and let this be the heart of his people as we seek to follow his will.